it's Mark Woling and this is the On Country podcast. Sorry it's been a while, uh, as you know On Country is a side project for mine, a labour of love but it's still a side project and it's been a bit of a hectic time in work and life. But behind the scenes I have been doing the um, detective work of lining up some great interviewees for upcoming episodes as I piece together the history of the Indigenous Ranger Program. But for this episode, I've taken a bit of a sidetrack, but a very important one. And my guests are Ron Finkel AO and Dr. Jamal Rifi AM of Project Rosanna, an Australian-founded international NGO that delivers on-ground emergency and critical health care to Palestinians, particularly children in the West Bank and Gaza, but crucially through joint initiatives between Israelis and Palestinians, guided by their overarching vision of our shared humanity. I've um, been trying to make a modest contribution to Project Rosanna here in WA, helping them to raise emergency medical funds for Gaza, and I thought it would be good for you, the listeners, to hear directly from Ron and Jamal about their important work. We've all been shocked and horrified about what is happening in the Middle East between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And as you know, the On Country podcast tells the stories of the people that look after this great country of ours. But it's also about a love of country and connection and identity, belonging, the struggle for land rights and the sense of duty and obligation we all feel towards our country whether you're Indigenous or non-Indigenous. I've um, always been something of a wayward student of the Israel-Palestinian conflict. And for me, it's always essentially been a story about love of country, of both parties literally fighting for their rights. And it's a story of settler colonisation and land rights, and one that has been running for around 100 years now. And it's reached indescribable levels of brutality perpetrated by both sides. The great thing about podcasts is the ability for people to have an open and honest conversation. The following conversation I have with Ron and Jamal is frank, honest and at times difficult, but it's always respectful. For context, this was recorded on 18th of November 2023, um, before the ceasefire. So here it is. I, I hope you'll enjoy it. That's probably not the right word, but rather I think you'll find it absorbing. I hope so. I hope you find it worthwhile. And please, if you can, donate generously to Project Rosanna. And that's spelt R-O-Z-A-N-A, R-O-Z-A-N-A. You've all got skills, so just go out there and Google it, projectrosanna.org.au, projectrosanna.org.au. Now, lastly, something I forgot to ask uh, Ron and Jamal was um, the origin story of the name Rosanna. And it's named after a four-year-old girl, a Palestinian girl, called Rosanna Salawi. And in 2013, uh, tragically, she fell from the ninth floor apartment of, of her apartment block in um, Gaza. And her mother realised that um, the only way she was going to survive is if she rushed her to a, um, an Israeli hospital in Jerusalem because of the disparity in um, health care. And this was really the beginning of um, Project Rosanna. The story just shed light on the, the significant health care disparities between Israelis and Palestinians. 
So that's enough from me banging on. Uh, here's the interview, and um, yes, please, please donate. Okay, so uh, uh, Jamal and Ron, uh, welcome to the On Country podcast. Um, I guess we'll start by um, getting you to introduce yourselves. Um, So uh, Ron, we'll start with you because um, you're a founder of the project Rosanna. If you can just give a quick introduction. Sure. Thank you, Mark, and and really pleased to be here. So um, uh, professionally, I'm a lapsed venture capitalist. Um, lapsed in the sense that uh, there comes a time in life where you have to transition and at 74 I'm transitioning so uh, the, the, the fund has been wound up, it was a very very good journey but uh, now I am really focusing all the, all the things that I did in my life in the community and uh, I have had the honour of being involved with a number of not-for-profits which uh, I founded and out of uh, out of one of them grew the idea of uh, an entity that could play a role in building bridges to better understanding between Israelis and Palestinians through health, and that's called Rosanna. And um, I put a fair amount of my waking time into my not-for-profit life. Thank you. And, uh, and Jamal, um, you're a, a doctor, a, a Palestinian, and um, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I'm definitely a doctor, graduated from Sydney University. I am of Lebanese background, but in the north of Lebanon, I live near two major camps, refugees camp, and that's Al-Badawi and Al-Barid river uh, refugees camp. And uh, so even though that I'm not Palestinian background, but do have some good knowledge about Palestinian uh, causes and what's been transpiring even now in the West Bank and Gaza. I work as a general practitioner for 30 years. I joined the board of Project Rosanna in 2017 and uh, I've been working alongside with Ron Finkel ever since. Yeah, and look, um, that's my bad there. Apologize. I apologize. I knew you weren't Palestinian, but I've just, as, as, as a bit of podcast nerves there as the, as the hosts. We were um, supposed the ones to have podcast nerves, Mark. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think, um, you know, it because uh, as we were talking about before, uh, I'm, I'm an I'm a average punter, um, an, an Australian, and trying to get my head around uh, the, the tragedy that's been unfolding in uh, Gaza and Israel. Um, and uh, I guess that's where we can start is, and I'd like to start by setting some context, which is, um, this is the On Country podcast. We talk about um, the origins of the uh, Indigenous Ranger Program and the IPA program, but uh, many of my listeners are actively working with Indigenous groups or in some way involved. And 
I think a, a lens which is good to apply to um, the, the the Palestine-Israel crisis is is the lens of terra nullius and and, and land rights. Um, and it's, it's so complicated and so difficult and, and many um, of my listeners have an interest in, in, in this from that, from that lens. But before I get myself into uh, strife, I, I'd, I'd like to start with a quote from political scientist Ian Bremer who said recently in an interview, he said, um, if you are only talking about how the IDF are responsible for these brutal killings, or only talking about what Hamas did on October 7, but you don't talk about the broader context, then you are absolutely not understanding what's happening in this war right now. And I think that's such an important uh, viewpoint because given the, the deep history of, of conflict in the region between the two groups um, and the inability to reach peace because of this struggle over land, um, and given this current situation and the, the, the profoundly high emotions that are running, um, we have to take that. It's very difficult sometimes, but we have to take that step back. And um, this is how I came to Project Rosanna, is you um, have been involved in that struggle of trying to build bridges and, as you say, um, the shared humanity. So... Um, I'd be interested in your, your, your views on that. Do you, I mean, would you yeah. like me to start? Yeah, you can go, Ron. Yeah, it just occurred to me as we started this podcast that I think it's also important to contextualise for Australians why on earth are we involved or care or it's a long way away, it's, um, you know, literally on the other side of the world. What, what makes it important? And I just wanted people to understand that, um, we've been here before. The conflagrations that happen in the Middle East have global impact. The ripple effect is global. It affects our lives. Those of us who uh, are old enough to remember what happened post the conflict in 1973 when, when uh, Egypt and Israel um, uh, fought a, a, a pretty significant war understand the economic and global impacts of things that happen in the Middle East. We are sitting on the potential powder keg of a significant expansion of conflict in the Middle East that would bring a, a major, major uh, economic and political impact to the world. And we are only one finger button away from rockets firing from Lebanon into Israel, an Israeli mega response to that a potential uh, 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 flow-on impact with uh, Iran and other um, of uh, the, uh, the surrogates in the area are getting involved. We've already seen um, drones and rockets being fired from Yemen into, into the area. So Australians have to be aware of context. It's not that it's just happening over there. It affects us, and we have to be aware of it. The second part of the why it affects us is community. We have in our midst, in Australia, significant numbers of people who have a, an emotional and direct, both emotional and, in many cases, direct connection with the region. Social cohesion, engagement here, harmony. These are Australian values. 
And it is vitally important that we find pathways to ensure that we are able to engage with each other, meet each other, and share in a constructive way uh, what we would like to see happen without happenings, uh, doing things that happened here in Caulfield and in Melbourne a week ago and happened in Coogee in Sydney. That's not the Australian way. I think it's been a wake-up call for all of us. Jamal has lived it in, in, in many contexts in, in New South Wales, and I'm living it here in, in Victoria. The Australian way is different, and it's important for us to preserve our values. And that's why I just wanted to say a couple of words of context first. Yeah, I think that's really important. And um, I, I was actually reflecting the other day on, on um, years ago uh, when I was a, a young man, I got myself into quite a lot of trouble. And um, my mother gave me this um, card of um, a, a Frederick McCubbin painting, of, uh, and it's, it's a famous painting called Down on His Luck. And, um, you know, she was just sort of trying to say, look, don't worry, you'll recover. And I just think that, that Australian value of, um, of um, a fair go and uh, helping those less fortunate than you seems to have been lost. Um, and particularly in this crisis, as you say, that the, those Australian values of, of community and helping those less fortunate, we, we really need to be open to that no matter what um, people's belief systems um, are. Um, so, Jamal, perhaps I can go to you. How, how are you finding things in your community there in, in, um, in Sydney and New South Wales uh, amongst the Lebanese community? Well, look, it's amongst the Lebanese community, Palestinian community and the Arab community, and that is Muslims and Christians. Mm. But ultimately, why is this ripple effect throughout the world about what's happening on the other side of the world is Jerusalem, Al-Quds. It's the holy land to the Jews, also the holy land to the Christians and to the Muslims. And that for centuries has been fought over about who is going to actually control that land because of the sacred side to the three religion that dominates the world. Right now, its situation has changed in the sense we are living in the 21st century. There is a almost instantaneous communication and what happened on the ground is seen by almost everyone across the globe and people have weaponized their words and community have been polarized by these words and unfortunately social media did not a play a part to bring these communities together but rather than to divide them. And that's the effect that we are seeing on the streets everywhere, in Melbourne, in Sydney, and also across the globe. One thing I need to say, the Jews or the Israelis have demonstrated for a couple of months against the current Israeli government. Now we are seeing the Arabs and the Muslims 
are demonstrating across the globe against the same government. Because I believe Hamas existed for more than 30 years. This present government is the most right-wing, ultra-nationalist government that they have some members, they have their own agenda, and their agenda does not involve a two-state solution, but rather a Jewish uh, right-wing state of Israel on the other side, a Muslim's right-wing uh, Hamas-controlled uh, group. And these two groups, they are extreme on both, on both sides. And what we need to understand right now, historically, they, they talk about the indigenous people of Palestine or Jerusalem. Historically, the Jews always lived there, the Christians always lived there, and the Muslims came in and lived there for centuries. And what we need, we need to find a solution that the state of Israel will have its own peace and the Palestinian Authority and Palestine will, will have its own country. Yeah, look, I think that you've articulated that very well and, and you've, um, uh, I, this is something I, I, I would like to talk about is and establish the, the framework for this conversation is I think people need to, particularly Australians, need to understand the difference between Islam and, and Islamist, so that internationalist right-wing agenda, um, fundamentalist agenda, and also for a, a, a Zionist. Um, and if uh, what, a Zion, like the word Zionism has been weaponised and, and there's all these different sort of viewpoints within Zionism and indeed... Uh, my understanding it originated out of uh, of Russia in the 19th century, and um, they were actually socialist revolutionaries. So they've sort of come a long a long way. So I don't know, Ron, whether you want to talk to to yeah more. Well, let, let me let me let me say um, very very clearly um, that I'm a Zionist. Mm. I want to explain what that means so that the average punter will appreciate. What it means for a person of, of Jewish background to say, I'm a Zionist, it's a very straightforward thing. Zion, Zionism is the aspiration of Jews over millennia to have their identification as a people understood. That means we share, like all peoples, we share common tradition, history, culture. That's one piece. We have our own language, Hebrew, which I speak. And we always wanted to have a place to call home, a place that we actually did have as home up until um, uh, 70 AD. And then the Jews were dispersed. But in our traditions, we always yearned for return to what they call Zion. Zion is a place. It's actually Mount Zion is a, is a physical place in Jerusalem. And Every year in our prayers, we said we would love, we want to turn to Zion. And it wasn't just Russian Jews. Jews in Ethiopia, 
Jews dispersed throughout the the uh, the uh, African, uh, the North America, sorry, the Arab world, and the, the, we're talking about an aspiration for a homeland. It doesn't. It never had a particular border. It wasn't important to say we want a place that has this border or not. What was important for us was the return to Zion, and that. That was the that was the incentive for the for the movement that began certainly in Europe, which is a reflection of that aspiration. It's called Zionism. It did never at any stage did it say this is the physical borders that is our Zionism. And in fact, I want to tell you that just the idea of a Jews having a homeland was discussed in great detail, and there was one opportunity that was put to the the, the Jewish communities around the world. And where was it? It was in Kimberley. It was in Australia. In the Kimberleys, in your area, Mark. Wow, that's incredible. I didn't know that actually. Yeah. There was a there was a there was options in Africa, there were options in Australia. But ultimately the Jewish people collectively said, wait a second, our ancestral homeland is clear unequivocally in the area that was under the Ottomans called whatever it was called, then Palestine under the British mandate. That's the space we wanted to be. But I, 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 I've said to many people that had I had the opportunity to be in the United Nations Assembly on the 29th of November, 1947, when the resolution for the partition of Palestine uh, was, was, was raised, and whatever the little sliver of land was given to the Jewish people, and I'm not talking about the desert in the south, but there's a little bits of land which were fertile and you could live in, I would have raised two hands for it because it wasn't important what its boundaries and its borders was. It was important that you had the fact of it. And this is a, an aspiration that I believe reflects also Palestinian aspirations. And if I can say as a Zionist that I'm a member of a people a Palestinian says, I'm a Palestinian, I'm a member of a people. They have the same right to reflect their own traditions, their culture, their language, and a place to call home. But it's not, it's not a, a zero-sum game. It's not something that has to be at the expense of one or the other because we can live together side by side and build a re you know, really two countries that do well together. And if 20% of Israel's population are Palestinian, then what does it matter if 20% of Palestine's population are Jewish? They should be citizens of each other's country, of, of, of their respective countries, and they should work to build those countries as best they can. So we are not, it's above my pay grade to, to say what should be a political solution. But I want to say it very, very clearly as a Zionist, it compels me, compels my Zionism, compels me to recognize the rights of Palestinians to self-determination and recognition alongside but not in place. And I think that that's a very important thing to understand. For me, Zionism is a beautiful word. Zionism reflects who I am. And I, I know it's weaponized, but it's weaponized for the wrong reasons. And, and so, Jamal, um, uh, how would you respond to that from from a point of view of of Islam and 
the the sort of Arab view. I know I'm, I don't want to put the the whole weight of the world Arab world on you, but without any doubt, the word Zionism is a dirty word in the Arab world because there has been a lot of misinformation about what Zionism stands for and it has been used by autocratic regimes in the Arab world and also used by armed militia and organization to actually make all Zionists are inhumane and they are monsters because they have taken the Palestinians land because they did not want to recognize the legitimacy of Jewish people to have their own land. Since 2002, there has been a shift in the way the Arab countries looked at the idea of the State of Israel because in March 2002, the Arab Peace Initiative stated during the summit of the Arab League in Beirut that they agree to full normalization of relations with Israel in exchange for Israeli withdrawal to the 1967 internationally recognized borders. What they meant by that, that Israel has to be evacuated and give the land in the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, East Jerusalem, and the Golan Heights back to the Palestinians. And that shift, it stayed with the Arab countries, but unfortunately did not filter into the Arab population because the Islamists prevented them from doing so, from understanding that. Because Hamas does not want two countries, Palestinian and Jewish country. They just want one country, an Islamic country that involves the whole of Palestine and no state of Israel because they never recognized the legitimacy of the existence of the Israeli uh, state. And yeah, and I think that brings it back to this discussion about um, the, the broader discussion about we look through the lens of uh, land rights and there's such a complex history of land rights uh, in the Middle East and um, as you were saying, Ron, that there's a, a complex Jewish history of people being there and then being uh, the exodus and being forced off and then again with the Palestinians and the Arabs. Um, and I, I would go back to Ian Bremer who, who's, who says that if you're looking for people to blame, there's you can blame people everywhere and there's such a, a, a complicated um, history. I mean, recently I've been reading about the period from um, post 48 through to about 82 and 
the emergence of sort of terrorism and so forth on both sides and, and the terrible things both parties have, have done to each other. Um, so actually what I'd like to do is to go from that big scale through into the, some, some very detailed, um, I won't call them anecdotes because that's too inane for what these stories are, but some deeply personal stories from what's been happening at the present time. And I guess um, I know it's hard to talk about, but I, I would um, like to uh, offer my deepest condolences to to um, Project Rosanna in regard to Vivian Silva. So, Ron, recently you had confirmation. You were, we were talking on Wednesday that you, you lost Vivian. If you would like to talk, talk about it, that's, um, uh, remember her and celebrate her, her, her life. So... Um, for the audience, uh, Vivian Silver was um, an Israeli, um, Canadian, um, a, a person who I had the deep privilege of having gotten to know back in 1971 when we were students. And uh, we met in North America for a, a student conference. And over the subsequent 52 years, I've seen Vivian and met her on many occasions. Um, Vivian was one of uh, the, the people living on a border settlement. It's not a set, we, we call it a settlement, the kibbutz. So within the, the, the borders of the state of Israel, there are different kinds of um, communities. There are big cities and there are small communities. And there are communities that are called kibbutzim, which are um, collectives, which have a, a philosophy which is grounded in a belief of at sharing resources and building community. That's what a kibbutz is all about. And Vivian reflected that in her life about building community. And she was one of, um, I think, over 100 members of her set, her community which uh, who were brutally murdered and obliterated. And in fact, a number of them have been taken hostage. And we thought that Vivian Silver was actually one of the hostages and for five and a half weeks, we um, were campaigning for the release of the hostages. And Vivian's story was very much a high-profile uh, example of somebody that was taken in hostage. And the, 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 the absurdity of the situation, here's somebody whose whole life was dedicated to peace building. This is a woman who really gave every piece of her DNA to peace building. She established the organization Women's Wage Peace. She worked um, and founded an organization to build relationship between Jews and Bedouin in the South. I mean, this is just, it was built into her. Uh, and we found out on Tuesday that indeed uh, she had uh, died um, and when her house was incinerated and she was, um, she was burnt alive at the same time. And uh, the forensics came up, and it was it was a very sad moment. Um, not only the real the realization that she wasn't going to be uh, even there wasn't a chance that she was going to be re uh, rescued as a, as a hostage, but uh, that so much of what she stood for um, had been had been put on notice by what was happening. Um, look, I, I I think Vivian will become a metaphor for hope. And I think it's really important to understand this. Her sons, in the aftermath of her death being confirmed, 
said very clearly, vengeance is not an option. The only option we have is to find the pathway to engagement, to dialogue and peace between Israelis and Palestinians. And, you know, we can... I, I had a long conversation with somebody yesterday who was a Holocaust survivor child and he 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 was just so emotional and wanting vengeance and this and and I served a kind of a bit of, of a, a part-time therapist role uh, for him and we we got him beyond because he was he was all his life he's been a progressive and he this this was a visceral kick in the guts in terms of a throwback to emotions that none of us really felt we would ever confront again people have got to understand that and they've got to understand that we've in Israel, a lot of people who had never actually experienced the horrors of the Holocaust felt that this was happening again to them. And it's a, it's, it was a shock to the system, and it takes time to get over that. And some of the initial comments and, and things that were said were said stupidly in the context of, of this fear that they're coming to get us. It, you, it's hard to comprehend what it means to, to the average um, Jew in Israel. Yeah, and um, I'm glad you. Uh, I was. You mentioned um, uh, the the sons of Vivian there because I, I had that as a quote there, and I was, I was quite I was quite moved by that. Um, and I guess we find ourselves in a situation now where the the the. Palestinians um, are seeing what's happening to them with this asymmetric war that's happening uh, of um, a, a second Nakba, um, and we've had this disproportionate response um, where we've now, I think the the latest figure is approximately twelve thousand Palestinians killed, um, about five thousand children. Um, and I think that was the other principle for the framework for this discussion is not all Palestinians are Hamas and um, they're just people trying to live a normal life and they just want a normal life. That um, And I was, a, a couple of the ex, uh, um, specific examples I'd like to give from both sides is there was a an interview with a 10-year-old Palestinian boy who just lost all his family and he he was like this old wise man and he's sitting there in the rubble saying uh, he'd, he'd survived the bomb blast. He said, all I want to do is go to school and get an education and, and, and now I ha have nothing and I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and then there was an interview with the brother of um, an Israeli man, an interview with, of, with him and he was caring for a two-year-old boy and uh, both of the boy's parents were missing um, and taken hostage. Um, and the brother is just sitting there saying, this boy, little boy, he's calling for his mum and dad and I, I don't know what to, to, to say to him. And, you know, there's the stories of... Um, uh, 11-year-old girl having her foot amputated without anaesthetic and, and a Palestinian girl. And you can go tit for tat with these stories. Um, so I guess my, my question um, is, and I, I don't expect that you'd have a, an, an answer for it, but um, how do we come back from this? Um, 
So for a project like Project Rosanna, who's providing on-the-ground emergency medical care, if it's coming from an Israeli um, organisation um, and yet they've just sort of had the shit bombed out of them, really, um, how, how, how do we frame this um, in in terms of providing care for them, it's it's so so difficult. I don't know who, who can answer that. Well, Jamal, go. Yeah. Mark, first of all, Project Rosanna is not an Israeli organization. Mm. It is an organization that was started by Ron Finkel in Melbourne, and currently it's an international organization. And we look at the situation currently in Israel and in Gaza, we look at it regardless of our political points of view. Mm. We look at it as from a humanitarian's point of view. In the same way as uh, not all Palestinians are Hamas members, but let me say, at the same way, we acknowledge that not all Israelis are Vivian, the late Vivian Silva. Yeah. And the most quote that affected me during this current crisis, it was done by Simsha Rothman, who is a member of the Religious Zionist Party, and chair of the Knesset Constitution Law and Justice Committee. Just two weeks ago, he said, Jews murdered in the West Bank are more important than Jews murdered in Gaza because the former are right-wing settlers and the latter are left-wing kibbutz members. How dare he? How dare he say these words? Now, that's what we need to be careful. People like him are causing the same division as all these people in Hamas leadership are yeah. causing the divisions. What yeah. we need to do in our Project Rosanna is yeah. we always concentrate on our shared humanity. Palestinian, Arabs, Muslims, and Jewish people. And in this time, very divisive time, that's where we need to amplify our voices. Don't dehumanize the other. There are people like us. And what we want is to send the message in Australia that regardless of your religion, regardless where you live, there is some commonality between us. The story of uh, Palestinians and the story of the Jewish not so different in Australia from each other. They all migrated to this beautiful country to build their own future. And at the same time, they all felt the disposition, the migration and building a new home. What we need, we need to lower the temperature. Yes, you have the right to your own voice. You have the right to support whoever you like. But on the street of Sydney, Melbourne, anywhere in Australia, we are all Australian and the 
community cohesion is very important to this country because it embraces both of us, the Muslim, the Jews, and the others. May I just add, Mark, that yes. the, 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 uh, the point that, that uh, Jamal is making is that we've gone in too many situations, too many cases, we've gone down this path of delegitimization of the other and then to dehumanization of the other. And getting moving back is really built around the idea of getting to know the other. You cannot possibly have a context in which you can frame your emotions without having the opportunity to get to know the other. Now, that's as true here as it is in Israel and Palestine. Here, we have to begin to engage in dialogue. We live too much in our own silos. We don't have enough opportunity to get to know each other. Jamal and I have known each other now for six years. Each day we learn more about the other. It's, it's an ongoing journey. It's not like, you know, everything about him I know today. But what is the pleasure about it is that we are friends and we are able to approach issues based on a mutual self-respect. He has his worldview. I have mine. But at the end of the day, we can talk about it. We can engage. But most importantly, what are we doing? We're doing stuff together. And we, get, we really get shared pleasure out of the outcomes of the work that we're doing because we're doing it together and we can measure the impact and we can be proud together that we are making a difference. So somewhere we've, we've, we've lost this capacity and part of the mission of Rosanna is to create frameworks where people can actually get to know each other. And I can tell you that one of the, the clear um, bits of, of get encouragement in this dark situation, I've got to say it's a very, very dark situation, but the encouragement is that the resilience of those health professionals that we have trained, the nurses, the doctors, the allied health professionals, people who are going through the work that Rosanna has done over the last three to five years, they have demonstrated by their action the capacity to remain committed to their mission of delivering the best health care they can and by working together. So I, th I think we, we, we have to step back. As Jamal said, here in Australia, we really have to find and actively engage with each other. And language is important in it. So using language carefully and not using words like Holocaust and genocide and, and pogroms in a way that, that diminishes, really diminishes what those words mean is very important. Um, so you can only really do that if you're starting to dialogue. And, and I'm very hopeful that we'll find the opportunity to do dialogue and that your audience should understand that there is still capacity to have a very important four-letter word. I mean, Australians love four-letter words, <laughs> but the one, that, the one that motivates us is H-O-P-E, hope. And we've got to, we've got to remain committed to pathways to hope, but also outcomes. We've got to be delivering positive outcomes. 
Yeah, and I think um, this is the point I was trying to um, pick up when I was talking about that, telling that story about the little card my mother gave me was um, Australia seems to have lost or moved away from th that that terrific old Aussie value of the f the fair go and helping helping up those who are less fortunate, and we've become incredibly divisive and particularly. Um, as as we've talked about with social media um, and the the little f um, fragments you see on it, it just seems to be creating uh, such divisiveness. As I'm not sure how we get around it, and th this is another reason that drew me towards um, Project Rosanna is that uh, the efforts towards dialogue and and indeed a drive for this podcast is for dialogue. Um, between um, Indigenous Australians and, and, and non-Indigenous Australians. Um, so look, being really practical, um, if uh, let's just give a hypothetical, say some, so a listener says, okay, I like what these guys are saying, I'm going to do donate some money to Project Rosanna. Tell me, tell me what happens, Where's, where does that money go and, and what, what's uh, Project Rosanna doing on the ground at the moment? Jamal? Well, first of all, in Project Rosanna, we get our strengths from our partners in the region. And these partners are working on the ground. Right now, we are conducting a fundraiser to help mainly the Palestinian and the Israeli hospital, our partners in the region, because the suffering and the injured on both sides of the community have put a greater impact on hospitals who need an increase in their revenue to be able to meet the need of looking after those patients. And in East Jerusalem, we have al Makassid hospitals, Augusta Victoria Hospital and the Palestinian Red Crescent Hospital. In Gaza, we have an Ahli Arab Hospital in the uh, city of Gaza, which is owned by the Anglican Diocese of Jerusalem. And in Israel, we have Asuta Hospital in Ashdod, Hadassah Hospital in Jerusalem, Rambam Hospitals in Haifa, Shari hospitals in Jerusalem and Sheba hospitals in Tel Aviv. These hospitals, they have conducted a lot of interaction between each other to improve and upskill the doctors in uh, both sides and at the same time to interact with them. So the Palestinian and the Israeli, they get to know each others in the health sector. Right now, all these hospitals, they are looking many folds over their baseline numbers of patients, and they need some help. And we need to send our money to these hospitals who's looking after the sick and the injured. And we're talking about mental as well as physical injuries and in project rosanna we have what we call the binational school of psychotherapy and these 
conducted for mental health uh, physician and health workers to upgrade their treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder for Palestinian health workers and the Israelis health workers, but they are doing it at the same time in the same place because the suffering is not so different. And we've been doing it for the last couple of years and people have acknowledged on both sides how much they have changed their attitude toward the way they look after the disease, but at the same time the way they look after their partner on the other side of the community. And that's something we want to carry on. And we are also doing a lot of other things, and I'll let Ron to carry on about over exchange of doctors between these two hospitals. Well, thanks, Jamal. Look, I think Jamal summed it up very, very well. Um, there's uh, an opportunity through Rosanna for the average um, Australian to be part of making a difference. I mean, you they're seeing all, all these things unfolding. I've, I mentioned in the beginning, this is not something that we are um, we can be distant from. It, if, it, if it gets out of control, it affects all of us. It also affects us locally here. So people who are supporting Rosanna's mission in the short term with the emergency relief appeal for the hospitals at the coalface, those those that that resource is really impactful and it's not just translated into um the uh, physical uh, the, the operations and things like that but actually resources i'll give you i'll give you one example the, the palestinian red crescent in jerusalem has 20 ambulances and they are going they are having to move severely wounded people um to the hospitals in Jerusalem. They only have four out of the 20 that are actually ICU grade. They've approached us and said, we need help to upgrade those ambulances. So in that ecosystem of what we're doing now in the emergency campaign includes the upgrade of those ambulances. So I, I through you, Mark, uh, and to your audience, join us. Join us in making a difference a measurable difference and one where you can follow the impact of the funding that you're giving. This is really very direct, it's very impactful, and we'll report back to our donors on how the hospitals have appreciated. And I'll give you, I'll finish just on one little example. Get a letter yesterday from our office in, in the region that Augusta Victoria Hospital, which is one of the hospitals that are right at the coalface, has a particular challenge at the moment. There are over 100 patients from Gaza who are stuck in Jerusalem and obviously can't get back to Gaza, but they have nothing with them. They have no capacity to pay for accommodation or food or anything. And what has the hospital done? It's stepped up and it's paying for all these patients. And they said, help. And we've said, okay, because that's a need that's here and present. And they, their appreciation is profound. And if it wasn't for Rosanna, they would really struggle. I don't know what they would be doing 
to continue. It'll be that money that would otherwise be going to treat the, the, the people who are getting um, cancer oncology treatment would have to be diverted to that. So I think it's a privilege for us to be able to help them and to report back to our donors that this is what we've done and we, we did good. And that's also an Australian value, to do good. And, and uh, have you, so, so from what you're saying, it sounds like there are some, um, um, the, 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 the IDF, the Israeli Defence Force, is allowing transport of patients back out of Gaza to the Israeli side. Is that not happening yet? No, 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 no. This is what, what happened was on the 6th of, of October, there were patients that came from Gaza to Jerusalem for treatment. Mm. On the 7th of October, they couldn't go back. Yeah, okay. So we, yeah. we end up with a whole cohort of people who are not local to the place. They're, they've got no resource. They didn't come with um, uh, clothing or, or money or whatever to be able to stay for what has now gone up to 37 days of, uh, of dislocation. So they're just a small example of the unforeseen consequences of this kind of conflict. It's a small one, but it's a very direct one, and we can make a difference to it. And we can also support the rehabilitation. You know, and people think about somebody coming to a hospital with a severe injury from a, from a conflict. The hospital does what the hospital does, which is surgery and, and get them ready to go to the next very challenging stage in their life, which is physical rehabilitation and mental rehabilitation. That, in fact, can last for years, and there are facilities that need support now to do that. And we have a, a, a rehabilitation um, hospital in, in Hebron, on, in the West Bank, which will be taking in these patients and giving them a chance to live lives that they might not otherwise been able to do if they didn't have the access to the rehabilitation facilities. Yeah, and I, I, this is something uh, uh, you've sort of like a segue into something I was going to ask, which uh, is often in these uh, conflicts, um, we talk about the massive death toll that we we forget about those who are injured, and so we've had having yeah, and there's you know there's people who've lo lost limbs and so forth, and there's all the post trauma, and there's another so another generation of. Palestinians, particularly who are who are um, emerging with this incredible trauma. Um, so, what's what's your view on uh, where this? I know it's an, almost an impossible question to answer, but on where we go from here. Like the what 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 do you think the post um, Gaza landscape will, will look like, or the post post Israeli Palestinian relationship will look like? Um, I can't see uh, Netanyahu staying in government. Um, uh, he, he's got a lot to answer for, um, from my view from the outside. But uh, what's your view on all this? I'm going to be a cop-out here. Honestly, I'm going to be a cop-out. Um, I have a view, personal, um, but I am not really qualified to offer those views other than in, a, in the way that you might have them, or the Mal might have them. So. My view is that the work that we do is essential because solutions happen in two directions. One is top-down and the other is bottom-up. And we have seen too many cases where attempts have been 
to make an imposed solution and there's been no buy-in by the people at the grassroots. It happened in Ireland. It took 20 years and it'll happen here as well. Unless there's a commitment to engagement at the, at the grassroots, while the politicians and the, the, the peacemakers attempt to try and find pathways forward, we, we will lose. So we are privileged to be in a position where we're making a contribution at the grassroots, an essential contribution, with people who are key influencers in their community. One of the reasons we are focusing on health is in every society that I'm aware of, the most respected people in the communities are in that list, in the top part, are the health professionals, the doctors and the nurses, and they are the ones who are engaged with the community. We are in the health system from conception to death. That's how it is. From the moment we are conceived to the moment we die, there is some form of interaction with the health sector, and it's so important to us. And healing is what we're on about. Healing, healing the bodies, healing the minds, and healing the relationships. And I think that in our privileged position, that's what our contribution can be. So if you ask me my view, I'll say that over the next 15 to 20 years, empower the health professionals, empower people, because if we can do it on a significantly large scale, that voice and that message will flow upwards and it'll make it a lot easier for the peacemakers to craft a resolution because people will have less fear, they'll have less distrust, and they'll have more empathy with each other. And what about your views, Jamal? I've learned never to predict anything <laughs> about what's happening in the Middle East. And the reasons why is this. Just a week before the 7th of October, there was many action taken place about a deal between the Saudi Arabia and the State of Israel. And after the 7th of October, that deal is dead. I think my only fear now, all the bombardment and all the killing and the numbers of civilian dead on both sides, it's meant to bury any notion of a peace between these two countries. But yet, it might be the catalyst for people on both sides to realize that a peace has to be done sooner rather than later. Otherwise, the cycle of violence will continue for another generation. Unfortunately, there are important players on both sides who have no interest in peace. And that's if we look what's happening in West Bank about the settlers' violence right now and what's happening in the north of Israel between the IDF and the Hezbollah and that these players can determine the outcome. But yet, if the international 
countries will decide that they need to support the Palestinian Authority and they, for Israel to accept the Arab Peace Initiative of 2002 and they put their diplomatic effort into establishment of a Palestinian state alongside of the Israeli state where the Israelis will have their peace and the Palestinians will have their autonomy, sovereignty and economic future, I think we may end up with a two-state solution because the other uh, left for us is continuing occupation, which is difficult and traumatic for the Palestinian and doesn't impact positively on the Israeli, or we will have one-state solution where the majority are ruled by the minority, and that is also not viable right now. I think people will come to their senses to say enough is enough, let's have peace, let's stop this, let's everyone accept the fact that Israel will exist and the Palestinian has to be formed as a sovereign, just country that provide peace to both of them. Amen. Yeah, yeah, because I, I, I can't see a one-state solution um, be, because, you know, frankly, at the moment, is, Israel is it's an apartheid regime and what's happening in the West Bank is, is just becoming worse. Um, and oh, no, I didn't get what you said. You said Israel is an apartheid regime. Yeah, look, it's it's. Um, I think that um, uh, what what the Netanyahu government has brought a, a major shift to the to the right, far right, and um, I, I can't I can't see um, if you had a, a single state solution with Palestinians and Israelis together, how how that equity would ever be allowed to happen. So I know the the two-state solution is imperfect in a lot of people's minds, but I, I see that as the only way, in my humble view, as, as the only way um, forward to some kind of peace. So I, first of all, we're in heated agreement, I think, across the three of us, that that's, that that's the, the way to go. I just want to um, pull you up a little bit on, on the use of it. We talked before about the use of, of words. Yes. And I think that the word that you use for apartheid is, is, is also a source, a word that has um, very specific connotations. The state of Israel, the state of Israel is a democracy state of Israel. Yeah. The occupation is a cancer, not just on um, life in Israel. But it really is a, a cancer that's metastasizing in the West Bank. The West Bank is a place where separation is happening and it's resulting in aspects of clear division between rights of one group, the settlers, and the rights of the other group, the, 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 the local Palestinian population. But I want to make it very, very clear to the listeners that there is no way you can apply the word apartheid to the state of Israel. Its Arab citizens are intrinsically and 
inherently involved in every aspect of life in, in the state of Israel. There is clearly a problem of um, separation that's emerging on the West Bank, and it has characteristics of policies that keep people apart. And the word apartheid was was the, the, the Africana word for keeping people apart. The big A apartheid has a lot of serious connotations. It was a, a, a legislated policy of division within inside the, the country, South Africa. There is no something even remotely similar in the democratic country of Israel. The regime, the, the, the country's leadership will have to stand the test of the electorate in the very near future. I have no doubt about that, that uh, the, the country will, Israel, Israelis will demand elections in the very near future. Uh, whether that, and that's, that's going to be the democracy in action. They're going to have to live with the consequences of whatever they decide. Yeah, and well, you know, this is why it's been a worry. Uh, like, as you said, Israel is a parliamentary, ostensibly a parliamentary um, democracy, but it doesn't have a constitution and you've got your 11 basic laws. And this is uh, was profoundly concerning that Netanyahu's attack on the judiciary and his attempts to er erode the powers of the ju judiciary as a check and balance. And I think... It's almost been like a dog whistle politic where it's allowed an, inf uh, an informal permission or an unwritten permission to uh, illegal settlers in the West Bank to, and plus they've been armed by the IDF to um, start to um, push out uh, pal Palestinians there. And um, um, I know that um, from what I've read that Israelis have been profound. They've been protesting and profoundly unhappy with this situation. So, I think they're also. I don't want to put words in Israelis' mouths, but I, I can see that the majority of the population has been profoundly concerned about this attack on the judiciary as well and what's had the erosion of their democracy which is happening you know in in America and here in Australia and in, in a lot of Western nations. Yeah, we just got to be. I totally agree. I was amongst the when I was in Israel in in June. I was out there protesting again against uh, this stuff. But that's it's an. In, this is really at the end of the day, the people, the citizens of the state of Israel, of all backgrounds, have to vote their conscience and their interests, and they have to do it, and they'll they'll be responsible for the for the consequences. Um, the the situation for us from outside. Is not to get us, I don't believe in getting too much into the weeds because we can't actually make a material difference inside the sovereign state of Israel. It's just not possible. It's the, the citizens. What we can do is influence, um, I guess, people in the region to have a more uh, open, uh, uh, open willingness to live side by side. Any other solution now is clearly, evidently not possible. So I go back to what I said to you about my own view of life. If I'm a Zionist, I absolutely have to acknowledge the aspirations of Palestinians for their own state. And I think that if we find a pathway to do that, 
that's what we should be pushing hard. And we, as Australians, can play a small role, an important role, by demonstrating how we can live together. And living together in the region, we felt as Project Rosanna, we can do that through the very, very practical way of bringing doctors, nurses together to give agency to people, to give skills, to transfer skills on both sides and have them understand that they can actually live side by side. And there's going to be a lot of discussion over the next few months. I'm sure I'll be part of it. Jamal will be part of it. But what I know for sure I'll be part of is this ongoing mission of Rosanna, this global mission that we have, and for which we are really, really privileged to have lots of people, lots of people here in Australia and elsewhere supporting, is to make a difference in a positive way. So for the opportunity you've given us today, Mark, to explain that, um, I'm really grateful. And um, I want to make sure that in any conversations that we have, we focus on the outcomes that we can be part of and are very careful with the way in which we use language as well. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And, and Jamal, your, your thoughts? To be honest, my thought will be much clearer once there is a ceasefire that's taken place for all these unlawful attacks of all parties who stop and people can negotiate the opportunity for the release of hostages in, in detained in Gaza now and at the same time for a humanitarian aid to, uh, to be transported uh, to the for the hospitals to receive life-saving medicines, for the people to receive their fuel and equipment, that electricity, water, food, because otherwise the disaster is going to be increasing and increasing and increasing. And that will be an impediment for an ultimate peacemaking solution for the powers to be after the cessation of fire. Mm. Yeah, I think um, it, it circles um, back around, our conversation is circling back around to Vivian Silver's um, son's uh, comment uh, that he said that her death was, that, that this was the result of the outcome of war, of not striving for peace, and, and this is what happens. And I think we have to hold that in our hearts. And um, this, it's just... Um, as we were saying to you a week or so ago, Ron, it's just we're all suffering, or I've been suffering this acute psychic distress of watch, watching all this unfold. And um, I think these, just even having this this modest conversation is a, a step towards hope and, and, and pushing back and building hope. And I hope that this conversation, when I put it to air, um, prompts other people to, to donate and, and feel because we can all feel so powerless and hopeless in the face of such um, tragedy. And I hope that um, even just making a small contribution um, and spreading this word of, of kind of peace building and hope, as naive as it sounds sometimes, um, is uh, something that we, we, we can all do as Australians. Mark, just want to say it, it, it's not naive. Honestly, it's not naive because you have evidence we can over 10 years now we can show people positive outcomes and 
I've in the beginning in 2013 when we started, people thought I was tilting at windmills. You know, basically some kind of uh, Don Quixote. I'm blessed to be part of an organization that is global, that has wonderful cross section of humanity involved in it, wonderful professionals who are dedicating their lives on a daily basis to building better outcomes, and partners on the ground who are living the idea that they can do things together. Now, we are in, in the scheme of things, as coming to the, the point that I was originally a venture capitalist, the organization and the movement is at the, it's really at the early expansion stage. I've said we've, in 10 years, we've laid the slab. The next 10 years, we have to build the infrastructure. And to get to sustainability, we need people like you and others to buy into the idea that you, in your own small ways, can be part of something that can make a difference. Because each small piece adds up to a big hole. And that's the most exciting part about what Rosanna is. It's a vehicle for each of us to be part of making a difference. And it's not just putting money into a bottomless pit. It's money where you see the results of your support. So I want, I'm saying thank you to you, Mark, for giving us this opportunity to talk to your audience, and I'm also very grateful to you for encouraging your audience to go to the Project Rosanna um, Donate website, read a little bit about what we're trying to do, and be involved in a small way. Yeah, look, it's 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 a privilege, and and, and thanks for coming on. And J Jamal, any final comments? First of all, thanks, Mark, for holding this podcast and introducing us to your audience. Uh, we're definitely dreamers, peace lovers, and at the same time, bridge builders. And we want to build these bridges across both sides of the conflict in the regions right now because we believe in our humanity. And we believe that the other is also a human being, regardless of who that other is. We have a good team working together collaboratively, and we're doing what we can by not inflaming the situation, but rather using some teaspoons filled with water to throw it on the fire. Okay, gentlemen, look, I think with that, I will um, uh, finish off there and... and um Look, good luck with all your work, and we'll we'll keep talking. And maybe uh, we, I can have you back on uh, in a in a couple of months or so, and see where we've where we've got to from there. Mark, we haven't stopped working. Yeah. After the Gaza crisis and the conflict and all the killing, we found that people in the West Bank they had issue going from wherever village they are into Jerusalem to receive their treatments or into other hospital in Nablus to, to, in, to treat their injuries. They had issue with that. So what we did, we spoke with our transport partner, Altawil Transport Organization in the West Bank, and we started on a daily basis many buses that go onto a certain route to collect all these injured 
and actually take them to the hospitals. There is always something good to do when you look at it and when you speak with people on the ground. Yes, the blockade of Gaza now stopped us from taking all children with hematological cancers or to go for their dialysis to transport them from Gaza to Jerusalem to receive their treatment because the blockade is a blockade. But then we found that there are others in the West Bank that they can benefit from our capacity to do that. And we initiated over many buses. They work six days a week and they are collecting all the injured people to take them to the hospital. And that's why what we are doing now in fund collection so we can actually give these hospitals to be able to meet the current need rather than the previous need. That's fantastic because uh, the pe- a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are very sort of on the ground, practical people, so they'll, they'll like that story. That's, 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 that's awesome. All right, gentlemen, we're going to finish there and um, we'll, we'll, I'll have you back on and, and, uh, and, and we'll sort of uh, reconvene at another time. You've been listening to the On Country Podcast with me, Mark Woling. As always, coming to you from Noongar Wadjuk Country, and it's proudly presented by FrioCast, an independent, not-for-profit community radio station created and run by a group of dedicated volunteers based here in sunny South Fremantle, Western Australia. Please jump online and go and donate to Project Rosanna. You can find them at projectrosanna.org.au, projectrosanna.org.au. Thanks to Jamal and Ron for taking the time to speak with me and I'll be back with another episode in about a week. All right, cheers.
Thank you.